This podcast is brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. Our mission is to accelerate breakthroughs in life-saving cancer research and empower people everywhere to conquer cancer. You can help by donating at conquer.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to Your Stories, a podcast where we hear candid stories from people conquering cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Don Tizon. Patients with pancreatic cancer face a particularly deadly disease. Only 11% of people with this cancer live at least five years after diagnosis. When Elizabeth Liz Beisel, an Olympic swimmer and survivor alum, lost her father to pancreatic cancer in 2021, she was moved and inspired to work toward conquering cancer in his memory. The Olympic medalist partnered with Swim Across America to help fund a Conquer Cancer Young Investigator Award, and that recipient, Dr. Peter Yu, an early career oncologist and pancreatic cancer researcher, received this grant in 2022. This helped launch his promising research project on advancing treatment and care for patients with pancreatic cancer. Today, Liz shares how memories of her dad motivated her to research funds for research, and Dr. Yu shares why he works to advance pancreatic cancer care. I am looking forward to hearing how this duo reflects on why it matters to accelerate research for every patient. So the first question I'm going to throw to you, Liz, where does this podcast find you today? So I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in a hotel room right now. Well, I'm just really happy we're able to make time. And Dr. Yu, same question. Where does this podcast find you today? I'm in New York City. All right, let's get on to some of our conversations, Liz. I am active on social media myself, and one of the questions I do get quite commonly is about pancreatic cancer. And certainly there's a ton of fear just when the words are spoken, but you've actually lived that experience. I wonder if you can sort of start us off by telling us what it was like for you to bear witness your father's own experience with this disease. What was it like to experience it, not as the patient, but as the daughter and a loved one? The process was certainly a roller coaster. And you hear the word cancer and that immediately scares you a little bit. But then you hear pancreatic cancer stage four and you start doing research and you realize that is not the diagnosis that anybody wants. No cancer diagnosis is, but especially stage four pancreatic. And so for my family, we were kind of just trying to process that and what that meant and timelines and everything. And my dad wanted to stay local for his treatment. So he stayed local for treatment at a hospital called South County Hospital in Southern Rhode Island. We got second opinions at Dana-Farber in Boston. So we felt really good about the treatment that my dad was receiving. We weren't going to have to drive up to Boston every week for his chemo. He was treated with the 5-FU chemotherapy drug. And it was hard because... For me as a daughter, to watch him slowly lose his quality of life and almost deteriorate in every sense of the word, you know, he was so thin. He had a lot of fluid buildup in his stomach that he would have to get drained because of the chemotherapy. It's hard because those are my last memories of him. But I do try to remind myself of the vibrant, adventurous life that he had before the six months of pancreatic cancer. And that's the other thing with pancreatic cancer. We are not where personally I would like us to be in terms of screening. And oftentimes when you have pancreatic cancer, it's already developed. It's pretty advanced in your body, which is why a lot of cases start at stage four because they've had it for a while. And that was my dad. And so 
That's why I'm just so excited. And we'll get into Dr. Yu and all the work that he's doing. But for me to be able to make something good out of something so bad is really what I want to do because I know my dad would want that and his fight wasn't for nothing. And hopefully, although our dad isn't with us now, the research that Dr. Yu is doing and researches around the world, hopefully they can save a life one day. And I'm just happy to be a small drop in that bucket to help those researchers and doctors and oncologists really make a difference. You know, I think you just said something that will resonate with hopefully a lot of our listeners. And it's that the experience of watching someone go through cancer can be just so heartbreaking. And those last months, those last weeks can almost embed themselves in your brain. But it's so important, I think, to look back on the totality of one's life and remember who this person was before cancer entered that picture. And I think the resilience you're showing and stepping out of that grief and finding a purpose and actually aiming to do something to improve the lives of people who come after your dad, I think is remarkable. You mentioned that your dad stayed in a community hospital locally. And, you know, I think Dr. You and I will agree in a lot of places, the best cancer care is local because you can go to a specialist center. If you take away the caregiving network, you're taking away part of what makes cancer treatments tolerable, I think. But you didn't solely rely on just community expertise. You actually traveled to the Comprehensive Cancer Center. Looking back, how did that cancer research inform your father's course in terms of his care, quality of life, and ultimately the treatments he received? Do you think looking back as well, did they draw from the research to help guide what they did with and for your dad? Yeah, I think there are amazing things going on with cancer research right now, whether it's immunotherapy. I mean, my dad didn't go through immunotherapy. He had chemo, the 5-FU that I mentioned earlier. And again, like obviously not great ways to screen for pancreatic cancer, but we are years ahead of where we were 10, 20 years ago. And I think stage four pancreatic cancer might be a bad example, but you hear cancer and that's not a kiss of death anymore. There's so much incredible research going on and you know, people in the medical field, they're not selfish. When Dr. Yu discovers something or figures something out, he's not keeping that to himself. He's sharing it with the world. And we have so many doctors and researchers that want to do that. And so for us to really have a second opinion at such an amazing institute like Dana-Farber, that was pretty much confirming what we were doing in our local community hospital was the right thing. All of these trials and all the research that's going into this, I mean, I can't wait to see where we are in 10 years because hopefully we're eons ahead of where my dad was. I mean, because we're eons ahead of where we were 10 years ago. So this research is incredibly important. And that's why I'm so excited to know where my dollars are going that have been raised because I feel like oftentimes maybe companies or whoever, you know, they're going to donate to some cancer research program but they don't necessarily know where those dollars are going. I've met Peter in person, Dr. Yu. I've spoken to him. He's told me what he's doing. And that is just to know again that my dad's fight is actually helping fund this incredible research for the cancer that my dad lost his life to. That's amazing. And I think one of the other things that you sort of mentioned, sometimes people are afraid to get a second opinion, right? Because they're like, I don't want to upset my doctor. I don't want him to be angry at me. And I think the experience that you had of 
having your docs in South County work with the team at Farber is a really liberating thing. And it does bring a peace of mind, I think, to families that they shouldn't worry about getting. You know, doctor, you and I work for the people that we treat. You're not there to see me just because I am who I am. You're here because you have a cancer and I can help you treat that. If you look at it that way, there should never be an ego when someone says, should I see a second opinion or I am going to, is that okay? The only appropriate answer for Dr. Yu and I and our colleagues is, of course, and let me see if I can help you. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you had that kind of relationship with not only a tertiary center, but with with your local physicians. So Dr. Yu, tell me about the pancreatic cancer research you're doing and the patients you're seeing with the disease. What makes the research for this type of cancer especially vital? So clearly from Liz's story, pancreatic cancer is just such a devastating disease. And when I was choosing what kind of research to go into, I wanted to make the greatest impact possible. And to me, that's pancreatic cancer. It has the, the worst mortality rate out of all the major cancers. And I think it's, it's the scariest cancer to have because you can be perfectly healthy and there's no symptoms when you develop it until it's too late and it's already spread. And that, I think that's one of the scariest things about, about pancreatic cancer. And you also get um, something called cachexia, where, where I think it sounds like Liz's dad also had, where you came very thin, losing weight, muscle and fat wasting, and that can be hard. And it's, it's such a symptomatic disease and the treatments are very tough. The regimens are, are combination therapies where we have to do intense regimens in order to get some response and prolong life. Pancreatic cancer, it's able to live in a region that has low amount of nutrients. Somehow it's still able to grow and survive. And even in the context of chemotherapy stress, they're able to find nutrients and energy and grow. So my project is focusing on metabolism of the cancer cells and how they're able to survive even in the context of getting these intense treatments and how they're resisting chemotherapy. And my overarching goal is to try to learn that energy source and how to stop that metabolism and hopefully improve therapies going forward. So that's so interesting, I think, because, you know, traditional chemotherapy, right? It's all about cellular division, stopping cellular division and promoting cell death or apoptosis. But you're actually coming at this by sort of the metabolic sort of feeding mechanisms that cancer has. How do you think that's going to impact the care for patients in the future? So the, the key would be to find some way to add on to the therapy or find a new way of targeting how the cancer cells are surviving. Honestly, right now, I don't know. That's why the research is, is important. So yeah, that's a tough question. I, I don't have the answer yet, but hopefully in a few years, I can, I'll have something for you. Well, you know, I think the importance of that, right, Dr. Yu, and I think the investment that's being made is if what we're doing now worked, we wouldn't need the research. But as, you know, Liz just described her in, a, in a very personal way, what we have available didn't save her father. And a lot of it was because of the lack of screening and the advanced stages of diagnosis. But it's also that the chemotherapy can be, to use this word, tougher than the disease. So I think looking at things in very different ways and going out on a limb almost and saying, well, instead of the division, why don't we see how these things are actually feeding themselves? And then is it, are you looking at a potential new way of treating cancer? Are you looking at a way where you protect the person while we're treating it with cancer? Or are you looking at a way that's going to 
work in combination, so-called synergy with what we're doing now, the potentials are there to improve. But unless you ask the questions, just like you're doing, we'll never advance. And so this, I guess, brings us back to you, Liz, in terms of just when you hear about Dr. Yu's research, when you saw where the money was going to fund, how did that make you and your family feel about the funds you raised? And looking even more broadly, because this is an audience that may be caring for a loved one with pancreatic cancer, maybe looking at clinical trials in a new way and trying to understand why translational sciences, translational research is so important. How does this all fit in with the viewpoints that you and your family have taken on cancer research? Yeah. To know the work that Dr. Yu is doing with the dollars, it makes me feel so good. I don't have a better way to say it because the early detection likely would have saved my dad's life or at least extended it a little bit longer. And so for Dr. Yu to be looking at the way these cells are metastasizing and why are they multiplying and why are they able to live in such sparse areas with no nutrients, I mean, that fascinates me. And then He's also going to look at some blood markers and, you know, while you're undergoing chemotherapy, like what does your blood look like? Is it working? Is it not? And I feel like that would have helped as well because really all we had with my dad, which made it kind of a roller coaster for us was the CA19 levels. And we kind of put all of our eggs in that one basket because that's really the only marker that we were given. And it made it a roller coaster because oftentimes the numbers would go lower. So it'd be like, dad, you're doing great. Like it's awesome. But it inevitably, not that it didn't mean anything, but he still passed away. So it's so nice to know that whenever Dr. Yu has an answer to your earlier question, you know, that's going to save somebody's life, multiple people's lives. And that's really what makes my family and I so happy because it's going to give somebody an extra month or an extra year. And to all of the families that are listening in and who maybe have somebody fighting pancreatic cancer now, it's not a death sentence. I'm not going to lie. Pancreatic cancer, especially at stage four, is not what you want. But with all these advancements and all the research that's being done by so many people, especially Dr. Yu, just have some hope and take it day by day. It is a roller coaster. There's going to be high highs and low lows. But For my dad, he was the type of person, you know, he had his last chemotherapy appointment on Monday and he passed away on Wednesday. He was not going to stop fighting. And and that was how my dad was. Whereas other patients might forego the chemotherapy. You know, they might be like, you know what? I would just like to live out my life without treatment. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just really what's up to that person and, and how you support them through that decision. Because my dad was full on, I'm getting chemo. I don't care. I'm doing it. Bring me to all my appointments. And that was his way to fight. It's all up to the family and the individual, but there are incredible advancements being made right now. And like I said earlier, doctors are not selfish. Researchers are not selfish. They want to help. They want this research out there. And the minute that they figure it out, they're going to publish it and it's going to be in the world for you to use. And that really excites me because Dr. Yu is just one of those people doing that. That's wonderful. And you're right. It's, you know, I think sometimes as an oncologist, we feel there is a good way to approach cancer and there's a good way to stop treatment. 
maybe it's by training, Peter, I don't know, but we have in our mind what we would call a good death from cancer. But I am frequently reminded because I'm sure Dr. Yu has as well. I've had patients who have had and wanted chemotherapy until we were notified that they had passed on. I keep coming back to a thought that, you know what, we each have our lives that we will live and hopefully on our own terms. And we should afford it that same grace when we're looking at the way we die, because we only have one shot at that too. My field is in the gynecologic cancer space here at Lifespan and the Ligoretta Cancer Center at Brown. And I look at some of the other cancers, uh, Peter, and think, if only the diseases I treated were experiencing advances in cancer therapy as quickly. We now know lung cancer, for example, is not a disease, that there are multiple mutations that define the prognosis, but more importantly, the therapeutic options within this very different classes of lung cancer. We're only starting to do that in the say ovarian cancer space. But Peter, when you look at pancreatic cancer, tell our listeners, where have advances come and what advances are promising or should we be looking out for as you look into, say, the next two to five years? I would echo what you just said about looking at other cancers and seeing the great breakthroughs and kind of wishing the same for your own field, but not seeing them. Because I think Liz's father got two standard regimens and those were informed by big clinical trials, but those are a decade ago. So since then, there honestly haven't been any major breakthroughs. And so I wish we had some things that were coming more quickly, but I'm a little bit biased. I think metabolism can be promising, but that may be probably farther away than two to five years. But just like in lung cancer, I think trying to do more personalized medicine is hopefully something that will be coming up. There's, I would say, around maybe 20% of patients who are doing some next generation sequencing can change their management and, and improve their therapies. But there's new targets that are coming out. KRAS is targeting is something that's promising in pancreatic cancer in the next few years. Unfortunately, the immunotherapy has not really worked in pancreatic cancer. And we're trying to, to learn why that is and trying to figure out how to, to unlock that. But we're just not there yet. And hopefully we can have better news through more, more research. Liz, I wanted to get your take on what Peter just said. And unfortunately, again, for the diseases that I treat as well, it's sort of a similar picture. It can sound very depressing for sure. But what is your take on what Dr. Yu just said? I am always an optimist. And I hear what my dad received being over 10 years old in terms of treatment. That makes me believe we are on the brink of something that is about to happen. And that excites me. You know, of course, I would wish that my dad were still around to maybe see that brink happen and th that whole breakthrough. But things happen when they are meant to happen. I'm kind of a firm believer in that. Sometimes we don't understand why. But I, like every other cancer, everything is going to be figured out. Hopefully one day, I do believe that we will one day tackle every single type of cancer. And it's thanks to people like you both. It's really incredible. And so I'm, I always have been an optimist. Sometimes it's a little hard to be honest, you know, I'm a human, you know, I hear something, you know, it's been 10 years since an advancement in the drugs that my dad was receiving, but that makes me think for 10 years, researchers and oncologists and people have been working on this. There has to be something coming soon. And that kind of in a weird way makes me excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think the work you're doing, it may be crouched in optimism, but it's also this hunger 
almost, and this is all researchers, the people who fund the research, the people who do the research, and those of us who also implement those findings, it's the same. It's the same, and let's you just said it best. There's gotta be something better out there. And this is the research that you're funding. It's like, are you just looking at this problem in a very different way? This might work. And that promise of looking for something better is really what's driving it, right? Because at the end of the day, there's got to be something better out there. There has to be. I know there is. And someone's going to find it. And maybe it's Dr. You. (laughs) It's going to be a lot easier if there are people in our corners. So again, Liz, thank you for doing this for Dr. You and for Conquer Cancer. Now, here's a question for both of you, because again, the audience of these podcasts are folks who may be just challenged with a new diagnosis, maybe caregivers who have been in the exact position that Liz, you've been in, and it may be people in our clinics. What's your advice? And I'm doing this for you both. So Liz, maybe you can go first. What is your advice to someone who has just been diagnosed? My advice would be, To know that incredible advancements are being made. It is not the kiss of death that it used to be, especially with so much presence of, and I know not for pancreatic cancer, but immunotherapy, it's taking away dreadful side effects that come with chemo. But there's so much information out there. Educate yourself. I would say, don't go to Google. That was like the one thing that I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. This does not look good. You know, educate yourself in the right places. And kind of like I said earlier, the person, whether it's you or somebody that you love that has been diagnosed, you just need to be there to support them. And at the end of the day, whatever makes them feel best about their treatment, like my dad going to chemo two days before he died, that was his way of fighting. And so I would say accept that and just have your moments. You know, it was really hard to watch my dad go through what he went through. We had this tree on my porch. And it was so bizarre because as soon as my dad got diagnosed, the trees started to slowly die, kind of like my dad. It was really, really odd. And I remember about a week before my dad passed, I had brought him home from a chemotherapy appointment and he looked at the tree and he said, Elizabeth, I'm dying just like that tree. And that was like really hard as a daughter to hear. But also he had fought so hard. He had lost over 50 pounds in just a few months. So it's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and say that it is, but we need to look at the bright side of this. And had my dad not gone through this, I would not have raised these funds. I would not be on this podcast right now. Dr. Yu wouldn't be doing this research that will maybe one day help save somebody that you know or you love. And I think that's what gives me peace. But I don't know if there's one right piece of advice because I feel like every case is different. But inform yourselves, educate yourselves and have hope even when it seems crazy because that's what's going to get you through it. So it's hope, it's autonomy and it's progress. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Dr. Yu, same question. What would you say to someone? What do you say to someone just diagnosed with cancer? So my first answer is I would say Find someone you trust and make sure that they're there with you. I think the support system is so important. It doesn't have to be your oncologist. It can be another doctor or a friend, but it's someone who can make you comfortable and someone who can help you understand what's going on because the diagnosis of cancer and the 
you know, treatments can be very complicated and there's a lot of emotions. So having that support system there with you is essential, I think. So if, if I'm meeting a patient for the first time and if they're alone, I would ask them, is there anyone that you can bring with you so that they're there for the next appointment? So that when we talk about things, we're making sure that you understand and you're making your decisions that are important to you. And I think a lot of patients, they wouldn't want to be treated until, you know, a few days before they die. But Liz's dad did. And I think, again, it's, it's important to do what the patient wishes for. For example, if a patient didn't have a support person to really advocate for what they want, then it's harder to understand what they really want. And the support is really important. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I worry the most about people who come to their appointments without somebody. Granted, there was a time right very recently during COVID where you couldn't get anybody. You could not come in. I don't know if that was your experience, Liz, if you were dealing with those kinds of restrictions on visitors during clinics. And I found that very difficult. But even prior to the pandemic, if people came in for their visits by themselves, I found myself worrying more about them for the same reasons that you're saying, Peter, sort of. I worried that A, that they weren't absorbing the ton of information, which was new. Like, you know, doctor, you and I spent three years in fellowship learning cancer. Liz, you walked into this stone cold and, <laughs> and you were trying to learn all of these things in a language that you, you didn't even understand. So having that sort of, we call it a peripheral brain in the room to also listen to everything that we're saying, I think is critical. But even as someone gets sicker, I think it is a challenge if someone doesn't have that support person to make sure that we are on the same page. And I think your dad was fortunate. He had people who loved him and accompanied him. I think for any of our listeners who don't have that support, it's, it's where everyone else in the cancer centers can help shore it up, whether it's a peer-to-peer -peer program or whatever. But support, I think, is quite, quite critical. Peter, I'm just going to give you a, a moment just to take a few moments and talk us through the project that was funded with uh, Eliza's Conquer Cancer Award. So I mentioned studying the metabolism and resistance to chemotherapy already. The, the other part of the project that Liz briefly mentioned is I'm looking at the nutrient breakdown products in people's blood. So I'm doing something called metabolomics. It's a very comprehensive examination of these nutrient breakdown products. And I have blood samples from multiple time points, up to 10 time points while they're on therapy. So at diagnosis, during chemotherapy, before surgery, after surgery, and with follow-up. And with this, I'm hoping to find, as Liz was frustrated with, is a lot of patients don't have a good way to, to know whether they're responding or not. It can be tough sometimes. So I'm hoping to see if there's any biomarkers for response, but also see if there's any, something in the metabolism in the blood that can inform the cancer cells itself to see if there's changes in metabolism that can be found there. So that's one prong of my project where I'm doing studies directly from patient samples. And then I'm also doing experiments on pancreatic cancer cell lines that also came from humans, but are now in the lab. And I'm treating them with the same combination of therapies that Liz's dad got. And then again, I'm doing metabolomics to look at the nutrient breakdown products just to really understand their metabolism better in the context of getting treated with chemotherapy. It's an incredibly rich field. And to hear someone actually doing this work in pancreatic cancer, I think is really exciting. And to see what comes out of it, I think it will be remarkable. So congratulations on that. So I have one other question that I'm going to send to you both. If you were talking to somebody who is looking at donating to research, how would you answer this question? 
why is it important to do this? And how urgent or vital is it that you do this? With donor-funded research, it's knowing that the money that you are putting towards that research is going to be well taken care of and funneled into the right direction. It alleviates the stress of Dr. Yu trying to find funds somewhere to do something that he has literally dedicated his life to. It is of the utmost importance because that's what's going to advance all of these treatments that the people that we love receive. I think that was wonderfully put, seriously. Okay, Dr. Yu, try to top that. I don't think I can top that. (laughs) I would say donor-funded research is so important. It's essential, I would say. There's a gap in the way research is done right now in that the vast majority of government-funded research goes to more established investigators. And usually they're funding more like safer projects in general. So someone who is young, you know, ambitious and, and motivated and wanting to get into research like myself isn't able to get these kind of funds yet. So it's really beneficial in terms of early career advancement and, and for helping the first ideas for early projects. These kind of projects are able to advance high risk, high reward kind of projects and these are important because, you know, it's a way for us to expand and really explore new things. And that's really, uh, I think, the best way to find something that's we wouldn't have thought of before. And that's how we can have breakthroughs. So without this donor-funded research that is able to take a little bit more risk, then, you know, we will be missing out on, on investing in the, in the next generation of investigators and also in trying to do riskier projects that could have really high reward coming out of it. You know, I think you put that very nicely. And it was just as good as Liz's answer. It absolutely was. You know, and I think the bottom line is, and we alluded this in the beginning, it's like, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't need to do this. But as you know, as you both have taught me just in this short time about pancreatic cancer, what we're doing isn't good enough. And people don't want their legacies or the memories of their loved ones to be treatments that were 10 years old without changing. So yeah, I am glad that folks like Liz are here demanding that we do better. Peter, congratulations. My final question to you both, how are you conquering cancer? Dr. Yu, let's start with you. I would say I'm not, but we are together. It's impossible for me to conquer cancer, but only as a team and all together can we try to conquer cancer, especially pancreatic cancer. The team includes donors and funding agencies. and But the most important aspect, I think, is, are the patients who are in the trials and who are getting treatments and the families and their, their support systems. So I think all together, we are conquering cancer. That was fantastic. Liz? Yeah, now I have to follow that. I'm just going to say exactly what Dr. Yu said. It is a team and everybody has a role on that team. My role is not in the lab. My role is not speaking the language that Dr. Yu and Dr. Dizon speak. I try, but sometimes it's a little over my head. You know, my role is trying to get this out there, you know, expose it to the world, let people know, you know, use my swimming platform to scream from the rooftops about how important research is. And hopefully after listening to this podcast, you understand that and how they need to break through the ceiling with those extra dollars that's from donor-funded research in order to make a breakthrough in the actual research that they're doing. And, you know, for me, if I have to keep swimming across America my whole life, I will. I will keep raising funds. It's something that is 
a year and a half ago wasn't even on my radar. And I know there's more people out there than there are not that it's not on their radar either. So if I can expose this to just one more person and make them really understand what it's what it's like and how important it is to have this research done, then I've done my job in that team, in that community that Dr. Yu was talking about. So it's a team. Dr. Yu said it best. And we're all just, you know, doing the best in the role that we have. Well, you speak for the pancreatic cancer community very well to both of you. Thank you. And this was a true pleasure to spend this time with you. And thank you so much for doing this podcast. So thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the OSCO Foundation. For doctor-approved patient information, please visit cancer.net, which is supported in part by Conquer Cancer donors. Conquer Cancer is creating a world where cancer is prevented or cured, and every survivor is healthy. You can help by donating now at conquer.org forward slash podcast. The participants of this podcast report no conflicts of interest relevant to this podcast. Full disclosures can be found on the episode page on conquer.org. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Guest statements on the podcast do not express the opinions of ASCO. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.